Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Pastor and Minerva are on vacation. Uh, he went to Sight and Sound Theater this week, and they saw Moses. So I have to hear how that that was. Well, <laughs> he appeared in a vision. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if... Any of you have had a chance to go to Sight and Sound Theater, but it's uh, pretty neat, very encouraging, edifying, and uh, huge, huge theater up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So you can see the Amish country as well as uh, see a really great biblical show. Anyway, pray for them. The title of my message today is I'm going to do, be doing a two-part message uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, and it's on women of wisdom. Uh, we actually have a women of wisdom group here that meets at, uh, I believe, Pastor and Willie, Pastor Minerva's house, so you can get information on that if you're interested in that, ladies. But I want to talk about Ruth this week and Abigail next week. And the title of this week's message is Ruth, a Shining Light in Dark Time. Now, God wants us to be a shining light. You guys remember in Matthew, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So God wants us to do good works. God wants us to represent Him and shine light wherever we go. And people will see it. And when they see it, hopefully, they'll be drawn to the God that we serve. And God gets glory for that. Uh, But it's not just for us now. It was also for Israel. God always wanted Israel to be a light. A light to the nations, it says in Isaiah. And a bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. And so that's really what God is looking for. He wants us to shine light. He wants us to do good deeds. I remember when I first got saved. um, This was back in the day now. Uh, but I was pretty fired up when I got saved. I wrote this seven-page testimony letter. And I mailed it to everybody. I mean, everybody. Friends, relatives, co-workers, mom's friends. I mean, everybody. And uh, so I sent this thing out, mass mailing. And, of course, my sister, I have a, a sister and four sisters and a brother. My oldest sister gets it. And... Uh, over a course of period of time, she was going through some rough, rough times. And I was able to share with her a number of times. And she, she came to the Lord, um, praise God. And, and uh, so once she became a Christian, we had a talk one day. And she said, you know, um, what really got me, it wasn't your testimony letter. I'm like, man, <laughs> I was so happy with this testimony letter. I mean, I wanted the whole earth to know that I got saved. She says, it's when you came home and you did the dishes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <clears throat> so, I mean, you know, it's not, our, it's not what we say all the time, is it? It's what we do and who we are. So, that's important. So, my light was shining through doing the dishes. I didn't even realize it then. So, we're talking about light shining. Uh, Ruth was a bright light. Shining in dark times. Uh, You're going to be encouraged this morning as you hear about Ruth. Uh, You all know the story, but we'll go through it again and and, uh, hopefully it'll encourage some people. Let me give you the backdrop to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges. And if you read the very last sentence of the book of Judges, it says this, And every man did what was right in his own eyes. Isn't that a good definition, definition for anarchy? Complete lawlessness? Okay, so that's, that was the statement summarizes, summarizing the time of the judges uh, and where the story of Ruth really takes place. There was gross sexual perversion. You can read about it. Uh, it was like Sodom. Uh, people were decapitated and mailed, sent around to the different tribes. I mean, it was just really disgusting some of the things that happened during the time of the judges. Um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the love of most grew cold 
during this time. Now, let me read you what the author of the book of Judges said about the time. Judges 2, 13 through 17. So they, Israel, forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. So it's a time of Israel um, engaged in idolatry. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them and he sold them into the hands of the enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to the judges. And they played the harlot after other gods, and they bowed down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do as their fathers had done. So uh, you can see the time of judges was really a time of judgment. Remember God told Israel when he gave Moses the law, he said, hey, if you do what's right, I'll bless you. And if you disobey, then all these things will happen to you. And that's exactly what happened during the time of the judges. So it's no surprise that the book of Ruth opens during a time of famine. And famine usually was judgment. Famine was one of the judgments in Deuteronomy that God said He would send on them if they disobeyed. So the story takes place in Bethlehem. What does Bethlehem mean? House of bread. Well, there was a famine in the house of bread. A little irony going on here as the story opens up. And you remember there was a man named Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. And they had two sons, uh, Malon and Kilion. And so during this famine that's in the house of bread, they decide they're going down to Moab. Maybe they can eat better down in Moab. Well, Moab, there's a problem with Moab. Moab was a sworn enemy of Israel's. Okay? Moab was a land of gross idolatry. Moab, their god was Chemosh, whom the scripture calls the abomination of the Moabites. Chemosh demanded child sacrifice. Okay, so Moab's not a good place to go. Not a safe place to go, not a good place to go. Um, it's a basically a pagan nation. Let's look. Uh, the other thing about Moab was they were on God's list of nations to pour out judgment on. Let's look at, let's look and see Deuteronomy uh, 23.3. Let's see what God says about Moab. I'm trying to set a dark stage for you. So then when I get to Ruth, there's a bright light that comes. That's what's going on here. All right, Deuteronomy 23.3. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Why? Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Baor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity in all your days. How would you like to have God pronounce that over you? You shall never seek their peace. So, this is Moab where Elimelech, Naomi, and their sons go to take refuge. Also, if you read Isaiah chapter 15 and chapter 16, two full chapters in Isaiah are devoted to pronouncing judgment against Moab. Okay, so they're going down to Moab. They're going down to Israel's enemy. They're going down to the pagan land, a pagan nation. It's not a very bright prospect. So they get down to Moab, and uh, Naomi's husband dies, Elimelech. So now Naomi is without a husband in the house of Chemosh. And uh, her sons marry. Malon marries Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman. And Kilion marries Orpah. 
another Moabite woman. So they lived down there about 10 years in Moab. Well, after 10 years, Malon dies and Kilion dies. So if you're Naomi, what are you thinking? <laughs> you lost your husband. You lost your sons. Your daughters-in-law have no children. You have no one to take care of you. You have no future inheritance. You own no land. You're in the land of idolatry. You're in a land of God's pronounced judgment. What do you have? You have nothing. Naomi had nothing after ten years. Uh, so that's... I'm trying to paint a dark picture. Did I get a dark picture painted? That's where the story of Ruth takes place. It's against that backdrop. You can't have a light that shines unless there's darkness to shine in. So let's take a look now and see how our story is going to progress. As you might imagine, Naomi gets bitter. Look at uh, Ruth 1.13. Well, I'll start in verse 12. Uh, Naomi is really down. She tells her daughters-in-law to go home. Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. All right, so she thinks God is against her. And uh, if you look, look at what she says in verses 20 and 21, this is after she gets back to Bethlehem and she's talking to the ladies, her lady friends. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? All right, so Naomi is not a happy camper. She's not happy. She's bitter. She's without hope. And now she's telling her daughters-in-law to leave. And she makes an amazing statement that she really wasn't in her right mind. In verse 15, she says this. Um, Orpah, Orpah leaves, but Ruth clings to her, right? Then she tells Ruth, Look, Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, so you go ahead and return. You go back to your gods and go back to your people. So, I mean, if Naomi really wanted to be a light to the nations, she says, hey guys, come on up to me. Let's go back up to Bethlehem. She didn't say that. She told him to go. So, Naomi is not doing too well at this point in time. Alright, so let's see what happens. They do go back up to Bethlehem. And once they get to Bethlehem, there's food now. The famine has ended. And in fact, they come back during the barley harvest. So now it truly is the house of bread once again. And you're going to see how Ruth is really going to shine as they come back into Bethlehem. And as they get back there, uh, well, let me, let me back up here. Um, right before they get back to Bethlehem, let me back up here some. Because we need to look at Ruth's uh, classic statement that she makes in verse 16. So as Naomi's telling her not to come back, Ruth says, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse if anything but death parts you and me. I, this is Ruth. She's raised a Moabite woman. And she's making this declaration of wanting to follow the true God. She says, hey, your people shall be my people. Your God is going to be my God. I've made, I've made up my mind. I've made my decision. So obviously Ruth has seen something, right? How did Ruth know about the true God? Well, she was married to Malon, the Jew, who is of the family of Elimelech, the Jewish family. So I could imagine 
They told her the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm sure they told her about Genesis. They told her about Moses and the law. They probably, probably uh, celebrated some of the feasts. So Ruth saw all this, and Ruth compared what they were showing her in the way they lived with the way she was raised and the way she grew up. And all of a sudden she said, you know what? I think I want to be in God's camp. And so Ruth makes a decision to follow the one true God. So that's really, to me, the most important thing Ruth does. is She makes a decision to follow the living God. That's a bright spot in her life and in Naomi's life, as we're going to see. You know, I was thinking about that. You know, in Lynchburg, we go to work, we go to school, we have our families. And I don't know, do you see widespread salvation like we would like to and many people getting saved? And There are people getting saved in Lynchburg and surrounding areas, by the way. God's doing a work. But, um, you know, God is doing a work on the earth. And uh, actually, Lee had introduced me to this online ministry called Global Media Outreach. And basically, uh, it's a website that uh, people from all over the world can come to it, and they're drawn to it through search engines, and they can find the gospel presentation. So they go to this website, they receive the gospel, and then uh, they can, their emails that they send are farmed out to these online missionaries like myself, like Lee, and like others. So yesterday I got this email from somebody, and they didn't give their name, it was Person X from Morocco. Uh, so Person X from Morocco prayed to receive Christ as their Savior. So I send an email back with encouraging Scripture, words. I try to keep a dialogue going, try to keep, you know, focus them towards the discipleship materials. And, uh, but it's every single day, there's two or three emails that I get. Somebody from Jakarta, Indonesia, just prayed to receive Christ. Somebody from Saudi Arabia just prayed to receive Christ. Somebody from Vietnam, somebody from China, somebody from all over the earth, every single day. And I went to their website, and they've been doing this now 10 years. In 10 years, 100 million people have received Christ. 100 million people, which is awesome. But that's what's going on with Ruth. That's what's going on with Elimelech and his family were a light to the Moabites. Orpah turned it down. She went back to her gods. Ruth clung and said, uh-uh, I'm going, I'm going to, that, to the house of bread. I'm going to where the true God is. So just really awesome what's going on with Ruth here. And what's going on in our world today that we don't see because we're, you know, we're kind of locked in our own little tiny microcosm of a society. All right, so let's keep going. So they finally do get back to Bethlehem. And uh, in verse 17, is kind of interesting. I want to talk to you about Ruth's relationship with the one true God here for a minute because this is a bright light. She says in verse 17, uh, Where you die, I will die, and, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Why would she say? Utter an oath in the name of Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? Somehow she knew to utter and utter an oath in the name of Yahweh. That tells me she's been chewing on this stuff for a while in my mind. And all of a sudden, just from within her, by her mentioning Yahweh, that's God's covenant name. So to me, Ruth had already been thinking about Israel's covenant-keeping God. And she had embraced Yahweh as her God. And here she utters an oath. Hey, Naomi, I'm going to serve you until I die. Isn't that amazing? And God is my witness that this will be true. The God that I've just chosen to serve. So just some really encouraging things going on. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit, but you know, Ruth goes into the fields to glean. She's a hard worker. And Boaz testifies to her relationship with God in 2.12. She was gleaning and Boaz saw that. He says this, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. 
So Boaz sees Ruth has come under Yahweh's care. In fact, the whole, that whole little community in Bethlehem, they all saw Ruth's testimony. They all saw her conversion to God. So that's pretty neat. That's a, that's a bright light shining. So, Ruth shines because she decided to follow the one true God. Ruth also shines because, and I think this is probably what endears our hearts to this story so much, Ruth is so humble and so selfless and in her love and loyalty towards Naomi that we're just, we're just drawn into this story. I mean, it's, we want to be like Ruth. I mean, the statement that she makes, hey, where you live, I'm going. You can't get rid of me. Look, Naomi, you've been through so much. You lost your husband. You lost your sons. You have nobody to take care of you. You're living in a strange land. I'm going to go back and take care of you. And I'll die with you. But that's my level of commitment, Naomi, to you. As God lives, I'm coming with you. I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to love you. I'm going to let God... Work through me and bring you hope once again. That's what's going on with Ruth. It's incredible. That's why we all like the story of Ruth so much. Because that level of selfless love and commitment is maybe somewhat rare. But that's the direction we all want to go, don't we? And it shines so brightly. So brightly. So, they get up there, and uh, Ruth is going to make good on her promise to take care of Naomi. So, what's she do? She goes to work. She's probably in her mid 20s, be my guess, if she's been married for 10 years, right? They got married fairly early. Probably got married as a teenager. Uh, so, going to work in the field, she's going to glean. And as you know, the Old Testament law set up a system where the poor, the needy, could receive food. Uh, so God instructed the harvesters to leave food that fell down while they were harvesting. Uh, he told them to leave it so that the poor could come and glean or take it. So Ruth says, hey, I'm going to glean. It's kind of dangerous if you're an attractive young woman. Woman, I guess it depends on what field you would end up in. Hopefully, you weren't going to be in a field with a bunch of wolves, right? Uh, but God, of course, was with Ruth. And she ends up in Boaz's field. Boaz was the kind of guy that greeted his men, The Lord be with you. And his men answered, And the Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. Wouldn't that be neat if you go to your workplace and your manager said, The Lord bless you. And you said, The Lord bless you too. Well, that's how Boaz greeted his men. So she comes into Boaz's field. He pulls her aside and says, Look, stay in my field. Don't go anywhere else. I'm going to take care of you here. He commands the young. He commands his workers. You don't touch her. Okay. Don't give her a hard time. In fact, leave some extra of the harvest so she can gather it and take it back to Naomi. Isn't that cool? That's really neat. So she does that. And of course, Naomi sees what's going on. She's like, "Wow, that's right. Boaz is our relative. Wow." But Naomi, you're going to see. Naomi's emptiness is going to start to become filled with hope and the goodness of God. So kind of check that out as she sees what's going on now. Naomi's back in the house of bread. Um, Listen to what Boaz says about Ruth's commitment to Naomi. I read you earlier what Boaz said about Ruth's commitment to God. But now listen to what he says about her commitment to Naomi in 2.11. Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and may your wages be full from the Lord. So, everywhere this woman goes, this Moabite woman goes, 
She blesses people. Her kindness is seen. Her loyalty, her faithfulness, her hard work is seen. And actually, she starts to affect people everywhere she goes. This is really neat. She's really shining. So, Ruth is serving Naomi. You can imagine Naomi being starting to breathe again. Uh, she sees Boaz is giving favor to Ruth. She sees Ruth is bringing home more grain than she should be bringing home. And all of a sudden, Naomi gets the idea, you know, maybe I should, I should provide, see that Ruth is provided for her. I should get her a husband. So, Naomi knows the law. She knows this kinsman redeemer law. So, she calls Ruth to her one day and she says, Hey, Ruth, here's what you need to do. You need to put on your wedding dress. You need to go down to Boaz at the threshing floor. And you need to lay at his feet. And basically, she's telling uh, Ruth to propose to Boaz. How can she do that? Well, there's something called uh, the Law of the Kinsman Redeemer. Let's take a look at that in Deuteronomy 25.5. God made a provision that if your husband died and you had no sons, He made a provision uh, for the widow to keep the land and the name um, in that in the uh, dead husband's name. Here it is. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, so that would be uh, Malon died and had no son with Ruth, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother shall go to her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Now, Malon's brother, Kilion, was dead. So obviously, he couldn't Mary, Ruth, could he? It shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of his dead brother, that would be Malon, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. Inheritance was everything, right? The twelve tribes were divided up. There was an allotment given. So inheritance came through the family name. And if your husband died and you had no sons, you lost it. So God made a way for it to be restored. And so if a brother wasn't available to marry Ruth, the next nearest relative could do that. And so Naomi knew that Boaz was a near relative. So she said to Ruth, hey, go ask Boaz if he'll fulfill the duty of being a kinsman redeemer. And I was wondering, think it would it take courage for Ruth to do that? Especially, I mean, down... She's sending her down to the, um, to the harvest celebration. And these harvest celebrations, there's a lot of wine going through, right? They're celebrating God's goodness. They're harvesting. And not many women, women typically didn't go down to the harvest. So the men are engaged in harvest revelry. Uh, I'm not saying they're doing anything bad. It's just, you know, the women aren't down there. So it could be a little intimidating for Ruth to go to this harvest, but she goes down at night and she obeys. And so I think, it's, I think it's a bright light right there that she obeys Naomi's instruction to go. She didn't have to go, did she? Hmm. But she goes and she lays at Boaz's feet just like Naomi tells her to do. And in the middle of the night, of course, you know, uh, Boaz is kind of kicking around and all of a sudden he bumps into this woman at his feet. And he's a little startled, as you might imagine. That wouldn't go over today very well with our customs, would it? Single men wake up in the middle of the night and there's a woman at your feet. (laughs) We wouldn't do that. But in their day, that was their custom. It was done in all purity. There was no sensuality attached with this practice. And it was completely in line with uh, the law. So Ruth... Uh, startles Boaz, and here's what Boaz says in uh, 
going back to Ruth, I don't think this is on the PowerPoint, but it's in Ruth chapter 3, verses 10. Let me read, uh, I'll read starting at verse 8 so you can get the picture again. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, who are you? (laughs) And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. That's a euphemism for, would you take me in marriage? Then he said, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after the young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Two, two things he says about Ruth's character. One, he says, you didn't go after the young men, poor or rich. What's wrong with going after the young men? Well, maybe it was in the context of you didn't go join the party crowd. Right? You were content to listen to, your, to Naomi and do it, do it the way she instructed you to. You were content to do what the law said and not go running around carousing and whatever. So I thought that testified to her character. And she says the whole city knows that you're a woman of excellence. That's the same word that's used in Proverbs 31, woman. A woman of virtue. Right? Who can find? So Ruth was more, her, she was morally excellent in her character. And the whole city knew about it. So one little 110 pound woman is just lighting up this whole Bethlehem. I mean, everywhere she goes. So Boaz is probably pretty excited. The other thing is, um, Boaz is probably twice Naomi's age, or twice Ruth's age. So she's marrying an older man. So there was some significance to Boaz saying, "Hey, you could have chosen a young man, and you didn't. You chose to do the kinsman redeemer route and honor God." So Boaz, of course, the next day after he wakes up. He tells her, he said, there's another relative that's closer than me, so I need to go talk to him first and give him the opportunity. If he doesn't want it, then I'll do it. So Boaz goes, he finds this relative. He says, hey, you want to buy Naomi's property? He says, yes. He said, well, if you're going to buy Naomi's property, you also need to marry Ruth. He said, no. He didn't want to do that. So Boaz says, all right, I'll do it. I'm sure he's pretty, pretty happy about that too. Uh, so Boaz marries Ruth. Is it, you know why else we like this story? We love stories with a happy ending, don't we? I mean, this story has a happy ending. The book of Judges, the last sentence is, every man does what's right in his own eyes. What a sad testimony. This ends with a happy ending, and we like that. And God likes that. So they get married, and they have a child, and the child's name is Obed. Okay? Uh, so, guess who gets to nurse the child? Naomi. And let's think about Naomi now. Naomi gets back. Um, there's a barley harvest going on. Uh, Ruth is with her. She's sworn to take care of her. So you can see some hope starting to seep into her. Uh, Ruth meets Boaz, her relative, and she sees how Boaz is giving favor how Boaz is providing extra food for Ruth to bring back to Naomi, right? Wouldn't that encourage you if you're a Naomi? It's like, wow, man, something good is happening here, finally. And then Boaz just keeps showing kindness and kindness. Ruth keeps showing kindness and kindness. And, and so Naomi is being surrounded by this blanket of love and kindness. And finally, I mean, it's like Naomi is like thawing. Okay, and this warmth is coming back to her. Finally, she's like, I know, I know what I need to do. I'll get her a husband. And so it works out. And can you imagine Naomi's reaction when Boaz is able to marry Ruth? Because what does that mean for Naomi? Someone's going to take care of her, right? 
Not only is somebody going to take care of Ruth, someone's going to take care of Naomi. And so Naomi is now like, wow, a man of God is going to take care of me. And they're going to have children. And their children are going to take care of me. And it's working just like it's supposed to from Deuteronomy. And then she has a baby. I mean, children were everything, right? Sons were everything because they passed on the inheritance. And so can you see, and there was a, a social stigma you know, seven, what were seven sons? <laughs> you know, you're better to me than seven sons. So seven sons was like huge if you were a woman in Israel. Sons were everything. If you didn't have a son, I mean, the stigma, the shame, there was an unspoken shame and maybe even a spoken shame. So Naomi now, is, it's almost like she's redeemed from her past. She has a son. Look what the Scripture says about Naomi. In, um, let's see, in verse, in chapter 4. I'll start with 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave, she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer, meaning relative, today. May his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. And in verse 16, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Wait a minute. A son has been born to Naomi? I thought it was Ruth's child. Well, it was Ruth's child. But you remember um, the law of the kinsman redeemer. Ruth's child, Obed, really took on Malon's name. Who, and Malon, of course, was Naomi's son. So it really was like a son to Naomi. So now do you see this? there's a completeness of healing coming to Naomi's heart from the bitterness that she had when she started out. She went out empty. She came home full, so to speak. And as I, as I want to end, you know, Ruth didn't have a whole lot going for her at the beginning. But as soon as she made a declaration to follow the living God and put feet to it, so to speak, God blessed her and rewarded her. We know that God rewards us with heaven, right? But I don't think we have a concept of being rewarded here on earth. Does anyone in here think, wow, man, God rewarded me the other day? Or, or does anyone expect God to reward us now? Well, we should. Look at Matthew nineteen twenty-seven. You guys remember when Jesus was telling the disciples how hard it was for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? They said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, well, what's impossible with men is possible with God. Then Peter said to him, well, behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will be for us? Don't you love Peter? Hey, what's in it for us, Jesus? Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus says, hey, let me tell you what's in it for you. Truly, I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake. Does that sound like someone we've been talking about? Ruth, right? Will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Another translation, the parallel translation of Mark says, will receive a hundred times as much in this age, in this life. So, is it a surprise that God rewards Ruth? No. 
She left everything to follow God. How did He reward her? She found favor with Boaz in the field. That's a reward, wasn't it? Her safety and protection. She found a husband. That's a reward or certainly a blessing. Um, I already pronounced... Naomi's friends pronounce a blessing on Naomi and the child. Uh, Ruth was rewarded because um, her great-grandson was David, the man after God's own heart. Ruth was one of four women to be in the lineage of Jesus. Over 3,000 years later, I'm up here talking about what God did for Ruth. Her testimony shines 3,000 years later. Isn't that amazing? 3,000 years later. So I thought about this. One of the applications I thought about, <clears throat> I've thought over the last years, uh, just you know how we self-evaluate. I haven't been that, I haven't been that encouraged with um, the fruitfulness in my life. I wanted to bear more fruit. You know, Paul said, "I labored abundantly more than all." You know, by grace. Well, I want to labor abundantly in the kingdom, don't you? Well, I'm, I haven't been that satisfied with the abundance of my labor. And just yesterday, it was like God was showing me, <clears throat> get this, one woman out of the land of idolatry impacted an entire community. And who did she labor with? Who did she, who did she serve, really? She served one person. Right? Naomi. She served one person and she did it well and she did it till the day of her death. And because of one selfless act, her testimony she influenced the entire Israelite community and it influenced the billions of Christians that have come since she did what she did. And so it's like God was saying to me, if I serve my wife and my children, if I could minister to one other person, well, God can shake the earth. He shook the earth for Ruth. I don't know if you realize that. He shook the earth. Because Christ came, and when Christ came, something happened. And it, <laughs> they look forward to this Messiah. We look back, and there's a day coming. There's, a, there's, a, there's an awesome day coming. Um, and so, let me encourage you with that. You know, uh, there was a woman years ago also. She said this to me. Uh, she, she lived in Pastor Willie's house actually before he did. Uh, her name, Cammie and Walter Muller. They had six kids. Some of you may remember them. A uh, real God, godly family. And so she's stuck in, this, in Pastor's house raising kids. And she said, she said to me one time, she said, you know, John, I, I really want to be out there. You know, I don't feel like I'm doing anything for God. I'm like, Cammie, I said, let me, let me just share something. I was single at that time. You know, when you get saved, you're a mess. And then you get saved. And then when you get saved, you're still a mess, right? Okay, so I was a saved mess back then. I still am, but... Um, <laughs> I needed the love of a family really badly. And so, as a single man, I didn't hang out with singles as much. I hung out more with families because that's just, I needed the love of a family. So, I was, I was with Cammie and Walter, and, and they had a lot of love to pass on to me. And I just loved sitting there holding their children and, and just receiving love from this family because I needed it so badly. And I said, Cammie, I said, do you realize what's going on here? I said, God has made me, He's given me a big mouth to blab for the kingdom. Everything you do in your house, the way you love your children, the way you raise your children, the way you love people that come into this house, I blab it everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what God has given me to do, is to spread it around. So, you know, just like Ruth's testimony has been spread through the ages, I was spreading... Uh, the encouragement and the love that this woman had. I was saying, look, you need to go to this life, to her home group. I mean, I've never seen love like this. 
Isn't that awesome? That's what God can do. So, encourage you, whether you're a man or a woman, teenager, doesn't matter, if you don't, if you don't feel like God is really using you now, or you would like to be used more, if you serve, if you can love one person, just one, God can move and shake the whole earth because of that. And that's, that's what we can get from the book of Ruth. Absolutely incredible. Also, another thing that we can learn from Ruth is um, some of you singles want to be married, as I did when I was single. Remember last month uh, I gave a message on how to discern the will of God for your life? And the premise was, if you do what Romans 12 says, um, to submit your body, you present your body as a living sacrifice. What's another way to say that? You know, yield everything and follow God, right? <laughs> Surrender everything and follow God. That's what I was really saying. When you do that, you will be able to discern, though it is that good and perfect, acceptable will of God. Question. When Ruth left Moab, did she think she was going to be married? Probably not. I mean, she had just committed to, to serving Naomi her entire life. Was Ruth chasing a man? No. No. Was Boaz chasing a woman? No. What was Boaz doing? He was greeting his workers. The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. And they'd say, the Lord be with you. And he was bringing in the barley harvest, right? He was doing kingdom things. Ruth was doing kingdom things, right? They both had surrendered and yielded their lives completely to God. What happens when you do that? God says, oh, I think I'll bring these two together in marriage. So how do you find a wife? How do you find a husband, single people? You do what Ruth did. You give up everything to follow God. I mean, is that not the picture or what? Am I, not, am I missing something here? I mean, when Isaac was out in the field, you remember what he was doing before he got married? It said Isaac went out in the field in the evening to meditate upon the Lord. And he looked up. Rebecca came over the hill on a donkey. That's no lie. Isn't that amazing? What was Isaac doing before he got? Was Isaac all neurotic and worried and anxious, looking for his wife? No, he went out into the field to meditate upon the Lord, and God's. And then this beautiful woman appears on a donkey. I mean, is that true or not? I mean, was was Adam neurotically saying to God, "I really wish I was like the orangutan." The orangutan. They get paired up, and the elephants, they get paired up. But God, I never get to be paired up with anybody. Did he say that? No. He did what God showed him to do in the garden. And what happened? He woke up one time, and a woman, there, was a, there she was. You know, whoa, man. You know? You guys have heard that. Right? It was. He was put to sleep. He wakes up, and there she is. Isaac looks up. There she is. All of a sudden, Ruth and Boaz are in the same field. There they are. I mean, is that, isn't that a good way to meet your spouse? So I want to present a different picture. Oh, I need to go out to a club. I need to go to some singles place. I need to be all neurotic because I'm going to be 83 years old and never be married. I don't think so. That's not what I see. What else can we learn from this? You know, really, uh, if, if you are going through a difficult time, you know, sometimes we go through uh, periods of emptiness. Um, sometimes we go through great periods of loss. But, you know, think about this. Did Ruth deserve to be rewarded? No. Did Naomi deserve to be rewarded? No. Do any of us deserve anything except 
punishment because we're sinners. But it's only by the grace of God that Ruth was rewarded and Naomi was also rewarded and blessed. So, whatever need you may have, it's only by the grace of God and He's going to take care of you. You guys remember Lot? Lot's in... Lot made a bad decision. Anyway, Lot's in Sodom, right? The angel of the Lord comes down to Sodom and says, Lot, hey, look, I need to get you out of here. I can't destroy this place until you leave. Come on, come on. And Lot kept hesitating and hesitating. And finally, he gets him to the edge of the city and Lot won't come out of the city. And the angel's like, look, buddy, I can't waste the place until you're gone. He grabbed him by the hand and he pulled him out of the city. There's sometimes when you're a Naomi or you're a Lot and we're so beat down we can't function. You cannot function. And God reaches down His hand and takes a Naomi and takes a Lot and gently takes us out and begins to pour hope restoration, healing, love, and kindness into our life. So the application, another application would be, if that's you, in your prayer closet, hold out your hands to God as an act of faith and say, God, I need you. I need you to pull me out of this because I can't see a way out. It's too much. It's just too much, God. I can't do it. But as an act of faith, I I lift my hands up to you. You pull me out like you did to Naomi. I need to be filled back up, God, because I'm, I'm not happy. He'll do it. God loves to do that. That is God's will. That is God's will. And He will do that. Next week, we'll look at Abigail. I love Abigail. I love Ruth and Abigail. I hope you've been encouraged uh, by the message today. We could have the prayer team come up.